Welcome to 2024, and as we begin this new year, uh, I thought it would be good to go to God's Word, to the book of Romans, that speaks into a culture that has drifted away from what God intended it to be. Paul was eager and ready to preach the gospel, and so he did that to the Roman people, but in the midst of it all, he gave them some warnings of what happens in a culture when it moves away from God, how it takes a downward spiral along that path until eventually God has no choice but to bring judgment. I believe the book of Romans speaks to us today. So I hope you'll enjoy it as we dig in with these podcasts. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and this morning. I want to kind of walk through this text, and then we're going to come back and make some application as we look at what I'm going to call a bird's eye view of salvation. It's kind of like in Romans chapter 4, we are hovering over a great passage of Scripture that's filled with great truth and great application for our hearts and souls, and it begins with Abraham, and it goes all the way to Jesus. So we're not going to read every bit of this text, but I want you to look with me. Romans chapter 4, verse 1, and the question that is asked here is the basic question for all of it, and that is, what did Abraham learn about the flesh? What did Abraham learn about the flesh? Now, the truth is, we're all learning about the flesh. Uh, where there's an old hymn that says, the arm of flesh will fail you. Well, there are many different kinds of flesh, and uh, there's flesh that tries to work hard and tries to do its best and tries to please God and tries on its own somehow or other to make it to heaven. What did Abraham learn about that? Look with me, chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to, the, pertaining to the flesh, hath found. In other words, what did Father Abraham learn about the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, uh, he would have a cause, he would have a reason to glory, but not before God. So because he wasn't justified by works, he has no cause for glory. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that is justified, the un, that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now I want you to look here in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. In verse 3, you see, at least in my translation, you see that word counted, uh, that, that uh, he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In verse 4, it says, Now him that worketh is a reward not reckoned. The word reckoned. you got the word counted. you got the word reckoned. In verse 5, once again, you've got the word counted. His faith is counted for righteousness. In verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The same word, the word imputed, is used again. So you've got counted used twice. You've got reckoned used once. You've got imputed. In other words, here's a mathematical word that is being used to simply put down here in print what it is that God has done for us. And we didn't do it for ourselves. 
God counted it to us for righteousness. God counted it to us for righteousness. God reckoned it to us for righteousness. God imputed it to us for righteousness. So you understand, you get the picture here that this is all riding upon God. And so Abraham believed God. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him, it was reckoned to him, it was imputed to him. God made a move on Abraham's behalf, and all Abraham did is he simply believed God. And all I'm asking you to do this morning is not believe in God like you believe in Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or somebody like that. I'm asking you to believe God. What does God want you to do? He wants you to believe him. The biggest slap in the face that anybody could ever get is if they're telling you something and you say, that person, I don't believe them, and they are not believable. Well, when it comes to God, rest assured, he is believable, and you can believe him. And he says, I count this to you. I reckon this to you. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, salvation has always, always been this. It has always been by grace through faith, all the way through. And there would be somebody who would say, well, Abraham, he lived in the Old Testament, so it must have been that he was saved by law. Abraham was not saved by the law. He was saved by grace because Abraham came along long before there was even a law. And Joshua, not saved by the law, saved by grace. Moses, not saved by law, saved by grace. Every one of the Old Testament patriarchs, not saved by law, saved by grace. So if you think, what did Abraham learn concerning the flesh? What did he learn concerning the flesh? He learned this, flesh, the flesh will never Effort will never, trying will never save your soul. Well, what would save your soul? Believing God. Believing the promise of God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for, for salvation, counted to him for righteousness. We go on down through this text. There's a long passage about circumcision, and the Jew was trusting in circumcision. Well, he said, that's a work of the flesh. You don't trust in circumcision. And then you come right on down to the end of the chapter, verse 20. It says, concerning Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Down here in verse 23, now it was not written for his sake, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Salvation comes by grace through faith, and all we do is believe it. Believe what God said. Not just in it, not just the principles of it, but God comes to you with the promise, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, folks, believe it, because God said it. God comes to you with a word from his word. Not just believe that there is a Bible, not just believe there's some printing on a page, but believe the very word of God and believe the very work of God. Abraham believed what God said to him, and God counted it to him for righteousness. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Every one of us must believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Salvation is not of works, but of grace. Abraham believed. David believed. Paul believed. And so must we. Of all the people on all the pages of God's Word, I am more convinced of all the sinners that ever needed saving, I'm more convinced that Paul, that, that Abraham was saved than anybody else. Now, you say, Brother Mike, there's a whole lot of people in the Bible who are saved. Oh, I know that. I understand that. But I'm more convinced that Abraham was saved than I was King Saul. You can look at Saul, and you could question his life and some of the things that happened in his life. I'm more, I'm more convinced Abraham saved than I would be Esau, for instance. I'm more convinced Abraham was saved than it would be some of those high priests that entered into the Holy of Holies to offer up a sacrifice. You say, well, how are you so convinced? I'm more convinced Abraham was saved than anybody that's seated in this building this morning. You say, Brother Mine, you can't judge me. I'm more convinced Abraham is saved than anybody that I know, anybody under the sound of my voice listening to this message. I'm more convinced Abraham was saved. You say, well, on what basis? Because that's what God's Word said. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. There is no doubt, none whatsoever, that when we get to heaven, we're going to find Abraham there why? Because he believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great Presbyterian preacher, wrote, he said, more definitely than the word on any other man in the Bible, we are told that Abraham had saving faith, and that this faith was accounted unto him for righteousness. His works were spotty. He did a very dishonorable thing on two different occasions when he was willing to sacrifice the honor of his wife to save himself in a moment of danger. But without question, we can say that he was and is a saved man because God flatly declares it so. The question is, what did Abraham learn about the flesh? There is a Greek word, sarx, S-A-R-X, as it's carried on over in our English language. It's the word for flesh. It can mean a lot of different things, a lot of different things about the flesh. It can mean your physical body. Your body is made up of bone, muscle, blood, and fat. You say, what medical book? I didn't have to get a medical book. I got this coat out of the closet this morning. And so when I, it had been in there, and it's all Betty's fault, because she took it to cleaners, and they cleaned it, and they brought it back, and it's tight. Now, you say, what is the cause of that? Is it the cause of the cleaners or whatever? One thing I've discovered from watching TV over these last few days, and watching the basketball games, and watching all these what's-in-your-wallet commercials and all that kind of stuff uh, with all these prissy people, um, what I've discovered is that everybody is wearing suits that are way too small for them, and I am in style this morning. So I get up and I put this coat on and it barely wants to, and I'm thinking, what is the problem? Well, that's one kind of flesh. There's that physical body that is the flesh. Uh, that's one kind of problem. There are times, sometimes as a believer, as a Christian, we want to talk spiritual about when we are failing or maybe our attitude changes or maybe we get mad about something, we just kind of uh, blow up. We say, well, I just got in the flesh. I had a moment like that this week. 
I'm sitting in my office, I'm working on a sermon, trying to concentrate. I've got some wonderful classical music that's playing over here, coming out of this little speaker, and uh, I've got that music playing, and so I'm just kind of meditating, and, and, and then in the, uh, over here, the car wash pulls up, and somebody is cleaning out their car, and they've got this big old speaker that is going boom, 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 and I've got music going over here and the rhythm is not matching the thing brother steve and it's about to drive me crazy and so i go find brother paul and i say to him colonel monda have you got a bazooka i can borrow i'd like to blow that car off the parking lot that's another kind of flesh that we get into but the flesh is talking about here is our sinful lifestyle our sinful being it's our human efforts our human efforts to come to God. And this is what he says right here. What has Abraham learned about the flesh? Here's the thing. He's learned about the flesh. It is not the efforts of man, not man's sinful nature, not man's sinful efforts, none of those things that can commend him to God. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcast that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schenkel or you can write to mschenkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. Now, there are three things I want you to write down. Number one, the way of salvation. This is what he, he learned. Works are acceptable. Un, works are not acceptable to God. The best works that we could do. Augustus Top Lady wrote, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone in my hand no price I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It's not the labors of my hands. It's not the gifts that I can bring. It is no effort on my part. And in these verses, and in Top Lady's song, Rock of Ages, flesh and faith are set at total opposites. Flesh has to do with the efforts of mankind to somehow either commend himself to God, but faith has to do with simply believing in the thing that God said and what God has done. On the one hand, we have human effort. On the other hand, we have God's grace. Over here, we have trying. I'm trying. I'm doing my best to try to get myself to God. But on the other hand, we have trusting. You see, salvation is not a matter of how much trying we do. It's a matter of whether or not we trust in the one who's already done the work for us. The flesh life of works is not the way of salvation. I look at what Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 3 when he talked about how when he, this big pompous Pharisee, on his way to Damascus meets Jesus Christ in the dust of the road. You know what he said? All the works that I've done, all the religion that I had, everything I thought was going to commend me to God, he said, I put it over here in one big pile of, he uses the word dung. It's, it goes in a manure pile because he said it counts for nothing. It's not the labor of my hands that fulfill the law's demands. It is not about trying. It is about trusting in what Christ has done for us. 
The way of salvation is a way of faith. What does count for something? The Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 4, For what saith the Scripture, not Scriptures, what saith this one particular Scripture? It's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How do we have salvation? We believe God, and it is counted, credited, imputed, reckoned to our account. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abraham when he was an idol-worshiping Gentile over in Ur of the Chaldees, over around Baghdad, some over, somewhere over in that area. So God had called Abraham to come and follow him. And Abraham, over the years, had been walking with God, not knowing what the destination would, where it would lead him, where it would take him, but he's just been doing what God had told him to do to walk with him. And Abraham set aside all his idols when he went to walk with the Lord. And everywhere Abraham built a place to stay, every time he put up a tent, he would build an altar, and he'd call upon the name of the Lord. That's not a bad way to do it either, by the way, folks. You establish a new home, then you find a place to worship. And that's what Abraham was doing. But you know, there was one big thing that was missing in Abraham's life. He and Sarah did not have a child. They wanted a child. You say, well, how does all this tie together with how Abraham came to know the Lord during those years, he's walking with God. During those, those years, he's taking things out of his life. But it wasn't until you come to Genesis chapter 15 and this big thing. He says, God, you've been faithful, you've been faithful, you've been faithful. I don't have a child. And God said, come out here with me, Abraham. They walked outside, and he said to Abraham, he said, look up at the stars. Can you see the stars? He said, can you count the stars? And he said, as many stars there are on the heaven, so shall it be your seed. And Abraham, who is 86 years old at that point, does not have a child. And I'm confident we've either got 86-year-olds in this service right now or 86-year-olds that were in the last service. But here he is at 86. Now, he and Sarah are about to get the shock of their life. And even Sarah says, hey, I've got a better plan. I've got a maid here named Hagar. You see, he believed God. Now, listen, 86 years old, he believed God. And for the next 14 years, there was no evidence that a child was coming. But Abraham continued. Here's the great thing about this man of faith. Even when it didn't seem like God was going to answer his prayer, he just kept on believing God. And God just kept on counting it to him for righteousness until the day would come when God would do something very amazing and Sarah would be found to be with child. The key word through all of this is he believed. He believed God. That's the way of salvation. Here's the second thing. There's the work of salvation. Salvation is a work of the Lord. Amen? You all understand that? I didn't save myself. You didn't save yourself. Abraham didn't save himself. He simply believed God. He believed what God had said. Not any kind of an intellectual surface belief. I think with his whole heart, and there are 
some of you today, your faith in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm hoping everybody in this building, and it, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today is not an intellectual surface belief. It's not that you think coming to church is a good thing to do or reading the Bible is a good thing to do. So it's, it's this. This is, what, this is what you believe. This is what you really believe with all of your heart. Last week we talked about propitiation, how that Jesus Christ, God's Son, God only looks at us through, in light of His Son, and, and this is the thing. You believe that. You believe your sin is covered because of Jesus. You believe you're counted righteousness because of Jesus. You believe it's not about the flesh. You believe it's faith. You believe this has all been applied to your life. Why? Because the work of salvation is a work of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, For by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In other words, it's not our works. It is what he has done, what Jesus has done for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. Everything in God's Word testifies to this, that I have no ability in my own to save myself, so my thinking has to change. It's not about what I must do. It is what has been done, and this is the work of salvation. This is what God does for us, and so we looked at it as we were looking at these early verses in Romans 4. We have, the Bible says we are counted righteous, in verse 4, we are reckoned righteous. In verse 5, we are counted righteous. In verse 6, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Here's an interesting thing about those words, the word reckoned, the word counted, the word imputed. Eleven different times those words show up in Romans chapter 4. They are all the very same word. Now, you think Greek is not confusing? It is. But I'll tell you something, English is very confusing too. You've got one word, logizomai, and it is translated in several different English words. Ultimately, it means the very th same thing. We have, therefore, as plain as is possible to express it, the truth that God has with fixed determination made a precise and mathematical calculation in which he has written off as gone forever all the sin of one who ever trusts in him. That word logizomai is used 41 times in the New Testament, 35 times by Paul, 19 times in Romans, and 11 times in this one chapter, God imputed, God counted, God reckoned, God did this. The work of salvation is a work of God, and it's almost as if as Jesus Christ hanging on the cross cries out these words, finished, telelestai, paid in full. It is finished. That's what God said in Abraham's life. It is finished. You believe God, it is accounted him for righteousness. Oh, and then there'll be someone come along and say, but I, I believe, but I don't believe hard enough. You know what Jesus said? He said, it's like a grain of mustard seed. How much faith do you have? You don't have to have a lot of faith. God said this, God did this, I believe this, 
And Jesus said, if you come to me with the faith of a little child, a childlike faith we talk about. Some of you, you're trying to figure it all out. You're trying to logically figure it all out, theologically figure it all out. You say, when I get to the point when I can understand all the Bible, then I'm going to trust Jesus Christ. No, folks, Jesus Christ is just trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Trust him now. So if a person's on a boat, let's say the Titanic, and the Titanic is going down, and here's a lifeboat, and you have the opportunity to get in it, don't analyze the lifeboat. Is it going to be sufficient enough to hold me up? Just get in the boat. Will you just get in the boat? Simple belief. And so I saw it last summer. We were out in the barn one day, and Ross was up in the attic, or not in the attic, in the loft, and Jonathan's standing down below him, four or five feet below the loft, looking up. And Jonathan said to Ross, jump. And he jumped. I mean, just, and Jonathan said to me, it's a good thing I was ready. Because when he said to that little boy, jump, he jumped instantly. It was like there was no question in his mind, no thought, will my daddy catch me? He just said, jump. And, and I know Ross is not disobedient all the time, but when he said, jump, he jumped. Now, uh, that's a good illustration. Now, also, here's the other thing. Let's put Jonathan up there and me down there. And I say, jump. Better call 911. I mean, it's the ability of the father to catch the child. We have a God that is able. When Paul and Silas were in jail in the midnight hour, and they said, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And what did they say? Jump. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's even as if... God has taken a great deal of wealth and put it in your account. Can you imagine that? You went to, I, I thought about it might happen for a little while because this week on day one of the NCAA tournament, I had a perfect bracket. I had 16 correct picks. Somebody's given out a million dollars. And then came day two. But in this world, we think, oh, listen, if I, just, if I just had a whole bunch of money, that'd solve all my problems. I heard about a guy one time that he had a distant relative that died. This guy had a bad heart, too. And they said, what are we going to do? We've got a million dollars here that these, he's left to him. And if we go tell him that he's got a million dollars, he's probably just going to die. And uh, they got his pastor involved in the mix and said, Preacher, can you help us? He said, Yeah, I think I know how to talk to him about that. So the preacher went to see him, and he called him by name and said, Brother, said, what would you do if somebody gave you a million dollars? And he said, Well, Preacher, I'd give half of it to you. And the preacher had a heart attack and died. <laughs> now, Somebody makes a great investment. Somebody puts a great amount of money in your account, and it's yours. It is yours for the keeping. Then you know what? You're going to write checks on it. You're going to draw on it. You're going to withdraw on it because it's there. Here's the thing of what Christ has done for us. He was made to be sin. He who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is what he has done for us. He has taken his righteousness and has 
counted it. Every time we draw from the bank of heaven, we are counting, we are reckoning, we have been imputed with the righteousness of God. So we're never going to go bankrupt, and we're never going to run out, and all we must do is believe. Believing is not a work. It is simply a response to what Jesus Christ has done for us. So my dear friend, just simply believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And there's a third thing, and that is the witness of salvation. What happened in Abraham's life? Well, several things happened. One was his life changed when he came to be imputed as righteous. He was never the same Abraham ever again. He and God were in covenant relationship because God had made this covenant. His life was different from that point forward. Another thing that happened was the Bible says that God told him you need to be circumcised. Now you say, well, what is that got to do with me today? Well, look down here in verse 11 at what it says in, in chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet he had yet been uncircumcised. So before he was ever circumcised, God had... It, you, circumcision is not tied to Abraham's salvation. God had already saved him. He'd already been counted righteousness, righteous. Now 14 years passed, and it comes along and says, here's a sign, here's a seal, but it just says in verse that he might be the father of all them that believe, though, though they be not circumcised, their righteousness might be imputed unto them also. There are several verses here that talk about circumcision, but let me just explain it to you this way. This faith that he had long before there were any acts, long before there were any ordinances, there was a faith that he had. He believed on God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, come along, somebody will tell you, well, yeah, in order for you to be saved, you must be baptized. Somebody might say, well, okay, so as far as this goes, in order for you to be saved, you would have had to have been circumcised. But I look at this text, and it says there, it was counted to him for righteousness 14 years prior to whether he ever became circumcised. It was about following after Jesus Christ. Some of you, with regard to baptism, the truth is you ought to be baptized. It is a seal. It is a sign. It is a statement that I do believe in Jesus Christ. But baptized or not, believing in Jesus Christ is the key to the blessings of God, to salvation. It comes through believing in Jesus Christ. So 14 years after his moment of conversion, this takes place in Abraham's life. And then there's another thing that happens along the way. God gives him what he has desired all along. He gave him Isaac. He fathered a great nation. And Abraham, the text is clear. He's not just the father of the Jew, but he's the father of every person who has ever been saved by faith. All of us fit in the same category. Those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we have as an example a man who believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So October the 5th, 1972, I'd heard preaching all my life, sat through so many different services, been involved in so many different things, had already been baptized, all of those things. But on October the 5th, 1972, I came to the point where I realized, that my, I realized my need for the Savior. And I also came to understand, I didn't understand it all fully at that time, but I knew at that time, that night, God was saying to me, throw yourself on the mercy of God. 
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in me. And there was a load that was lifted that night. My sins were forgiven that night. I didn't understand all about it. I didn't understand all about propitiation. I didn't understand all about righteousness. I didn't understand all that, that, that our Lord had done for us, but I believed in him that night, and it was counted to me for righteousness. And every time God looks at me now, he's looking at me through his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants to do the very same with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.